experience with our own challenges, maybe some of us full of faith, maybe some of us struggling with faith, maybe some of us with no faith, God, but we come asking for you to speak, and it's in your son's name we pray, amen. All right, so we're going to be looking today about what the book of Proverbs has to say about friendship. If you're looking for Proverbs in the Bible, it's almost in the middle. You can open there, and we'll be going throughout the book of Proverbs. Uh, we're going to be looking at a variety of verses. Uh, if you have a Bible, Bible app, feel free to open it. Uh, it's kind of unique to, to preach about the book of Proverbs or preach from the book of Proverbs because um, there's some really wonderful themes, but a lot of the, the the texts about them are kind of sprinkled throughout the book. So it's hard to preach from Proverbs like preach this chapter because it's kind of different ideas are covered all over the place. And so we're kind of be looking at a number of things through Proverbs. It's not my favorite way to preach, but uh, it's the best way to tackle it, so we're going to do that. Um, and as I prepared for this message on friendship, I, I thought a lot about friends that I've had uh, over the years. And I'm someone that really has been uniquely privileged, I feel like blessed, for the majority of my life to have a number of small groups of really, really good friends. Uh, as a kid, I was, grew up in Phoenix, Arizona, and I was always running around with friends, uh, buddies who lived in my neighborhood. We would go to school, we would come home, we would play soccer, football, basketball, ride bikes, uh, all in our neighborhood. We had these neighborhood friends. And it was Phoenix, and Phoenix is extremely hot. Uh, if you've ever been to Phoenix, um, it's hot all the time. It's hot right now, I'm sure. I can I'm guarantee it. I uh, didn't even check the weather app but I knew it will be. Uh, and I can remember swimming, like, all the time. So we would always be swimming. Some of my earliest memories were, like, going with friends from pool to pool. Sometimes we would jump over one neighbor's fence and the next neighbor's fence, and we would do, like, a, I don't know what you'd call this, like a, like a run through all the neighbor's houses through the pools, like jump a fence, swim a pool, jump a fence, swim a pool. Um, this might come up again later. Uh, I'm telling you something about my character. Um, in, in junior high and high school, I remember so many big firsts happening with friends. Uh, my first junior high dance, you know, where all the boys were on one side and all the friends and all the girls were on the other side. I had one of those. Uh, first, you know, parties. I remember my first girlfriend. Uh, I remember my first breakup. Um, I remember the first time I was arrested, and that was with friends, and as well as the second time I was arrested, <laughs> also with friends. Um, I was a bit of a hellion as a kid. Uh, all of those things I experienced, or if I didn't experience, at the very least, I talked through with my friends. And I can remember talking with my friends. This is pre-texting, pre-cell phone, when you'd be on the phone and your mom could pick up, or, uh, so it was kind of a, a risky move, uh, for hours and hours with friends about all kinds of stuff that was going on in our life. And when I think of growing up, I really do think of my friends. And I, I hope as I share some of my story, you're thinking of some of your friends. Uh, for me, I think of guys like TJ, or Mark, or Lance, or Justin, or Alan. These are some of my closest friends that I had when I was growing up as a kid. And then when I went to college, uh, my experience of friendship, it just intensified even more. Uh, for the first time, I wasn't living with my parents, wasn't living with my family, so really almost every hour of the day was spent with friends or with classmates. And so I was living in a dorm. Uh, first, I had a very interesting roommate. If you're curious, I'll tell you that story some other time. Um, and then later, I lived with a group of friends. And these are people that shaped me profoundly. They introduced me to new music, to new experiences, to new cultures. Again, we would talk for hours about ideas and about relationships. And I can remember specifically one thing that was very formative was going on road trips with friends. And so I was from Phoenix. I went to school in Missouri. I'd never been to the Midwest at all. Um, and my, my parents were pretty far away. And so on like holiday weekends, I would go home with friends and hang out with them instead of going all the way back to Phoenix. And I, I can remember uh, one time staying at the home of one of my closest friends. And it was the first time that I really experienced poverty, uh, like firsthand, where seven people all slept on the floor, basically of a tiny... Uh, 
studio apartment. Uh, his brothers and sisters sleep on the couch. They didn't have a bedroom. And that was new to me. That was like a new experience that if, the, if it wasn't for that friendship, I wouldn't have had a firsthand look at that. And at the same time, I can remember going home with another friend uh, whose family owned acres and acres of land. I rode a horse for the first time. They owned horses. They owned a lake. Uh, I've never known anyone that owned a lake. Um, and I say that all to say, though, that, that friends change us. They, they shape us. Uh, they enlarge our uh, experience and view of reality. And they're there for us when we're hurting. And they provide the context for some of our most memorable um, and vivid memories. And so I hope you're thinking of some of the friends you have, even for a moment. Just take a moment to think of the friends that you had maybe growing up that shaped you over the years. Can you see their faces? Can you remember their names? Uh, for some of us here today, maybe, when we talk about friendship, you may not have had a rich of experiences I just described. Uh, some of our most vivid memories for some of us might be feelings of betrayal, uh, of a friendship that ended, of a fight or an argument that happened. Uh, some of you, when you think of friendship, you may think primarily of the absence of friends, unfulfilled longing, even loneliness. Uh, I can resonate with that. I've had those kinds of seasons. I felt those things as well. Uh, specifically, I can remember when I graduated from college, I moved to a new city, and I didn't really know anyone. I was newly married, and I can remember sitting in my room and having this realization, um, or at least this feeling, that, that maybe these deep, rich friendships that I had growing up and in college, these circles and groups of close friends that I had, that, that I would never have those again. Like, that was just like, that's all done. I'm too busy. I have a new job. I have a new family. I'm in a new city. I don't even know where to look for friends. And I'm not a very emotional person. Like, I experience primarily all emotions as tired. That's, my, that's the range of my emotions is I'm tired. Um, <laughs> But I can remember being in that new city um, without any friends and just crying and grieving the loss of friendship and the fear that I may not find this kind of friend again. And maybe you felt that. Maybe as you look back at this previous season, maybe you understand that fear that you may never have friendships that you so deeply desire. I've had that feeling, and it's, it's a terrible feeling. Maybe some of us have experienced the loss of a friend, the death of a spouse or a close friend, and you just think, I'm never going to have that kind of intimacy again. And so uh, the truth is, though, I would go on to make other real friendships, uh, mostly people that I connected with because we worked together, we lived together, or went to the same church. And over time, these people became very real and close friendships. And so I've experienced both sides of it, you know, the, 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 the loss of friends, the, the presence of friends, the, the making of new friends. And, and one thing that's really interesting to me is that even though I've experienced the incredible value of friendship personally and the pain and loneliness of friendship's absence, uh, it seems like uh, our culture and even our Christian culture sometimes doesn't always prioritize friendship or teach us how to have good friends. Like this might be the first sermon you've ever heard about friendship. Maybe, I don't know, maybe you've heard about this before. Um, and you think about it for ourselves, like when was the last time you asked somebody when you're talking to someone you know, like, how's your friendships going? Like we might ask them, how's work going? How's your marriage? How's your family? How's your business? How's school? Right? But we, we don't necessarily ask, how are your friendships? And I think that's a really interesting thing. You know, we might ask if someone, when we've heard of someone moving, uh, when was the last time you, if you hear of someone moving or you know someone's going to move, when was the last time you heard of someone saying, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to move because I have really close friends somewhere? A lot of times we'll move for work, we'll move for romantic relationships, but very rarely will we move or stay somewhere because of friendship. But I think friendship is one of the things that makes life so important and so critical. Uh, recently I had this experience 
Uh, I went to a bookstore with my wife, and uh, we were, Friday night, we went to a Chinese restaurant. We had a date. It was a Mama Hoo Hoo in San Francisco. It was very good. Um, and then after that, we went to a bookstore called Green Apple Books, which is an iconic bookstore. Uh, some people say it's one of the best bookstores in America. It's a huge bookstore. And it's one of those bookstores where there's like little pieces of cardboard. If you've been to a San Francisco bookstore, it has like every topic you can imagine, like every possible topic you can think of. There's a little little jutting out piece of cardboard, and these are where those books are. And, I, and looking there, you know, I'm realizing, yeah, there, there's, there's every kind of uh, thing you could ever want to read about, but there wasn't a section on friendship. There's a section on sexuality, on romance, on business, on cooking. I mean, everything you could think of, but there's not a section on friendship. And I think that's really interesting, personally. Something as universal, as fundamental, as present, and as desired in all of our lives as friendship is left rarely undressed. Unaddressed, and but I think what's really interesting is if you if you go to the section on fiction, if you were to go away from the nonfiction section of bookstore and you go to fiction, you find all kinds of classic and contemporary stories of friendship. I mean, some of the most uh, noteworthy books of our age are friendship books, right? Uh, Huck Finn, Harry Potter. Lord of the Rings, right? In, in the nonfiction room, very little is written about friendship, but when we write stories, we write about friendship. Our, our own hearts, they long for friendship, but in, in some ways, there's some kind of disconnect in our society. I don't want to overstate it, but I, I do really think Western culture doesn't always have good tools to explain the importance of friendship, to tell us why friendship exists, especially if you're a man, an older man. There's, you know, you'll find an article sometime, The Crisis of Male Friendship, that there, there's real difficulties, particularly with, older, with men over 40 beginning to make friends. And there's sort of a crisis in our culture about this and, and a disconnect. And uh, I think one of the reasons that it is, and I want this is maybe a little too in the details on the nature of friendship, but I think one of the reasons that is is that we all have this desire for friendship, but, but some of the people that have most uh, shaped are the way our culture thinks about reality are people that uh, didn't particularly value friendship when they um, shaped our culture. So I want to share about two guys really briefly, uh, Sigmund Freud and Charles Darwin. And these guys are uh, Sigmund Freud, kind of the founder of modern psychology, and we think about the world. So much of Freudian psychology has shaped the way we think. Uh, we think about Darwin, his theory of evolution, has shaped the way we think about economies, about, about the natural world. And for Freud, really, he thought that all human needs for relationship, they stem from a kind of desire for sexual fulfillment or some kind of erotic origin. So to him, friendship is really just kind of a stunted, like halfway desire for a sexual relationship. So it was almost like a, like a, like a, like a, like a, like a mix-up you have. Like if you want a friend, it's because you really, really actually deeper, you want a sexual partner. And so he didn't really have a category for the value of friendship. Yeah, he had friendships, but in his mind, it wasn't really something we needed as a species. It was sort of a, uh, like a branch that wasn't necessary on a human tree. Um, for Darwin, uh, really interestingly, friendship for him didn't seem to have uh, the same kind of value because it didn't produce uh, results, and especially people that took some of Darwin's theories. Uh, Benjamin Myers, he's an Australian theologian, and he's traced some of the ways that uh, friendship has been obscured or been uh, why it's complicated in Western society. And he uh, talks about in this quote here that I'm going to read, uh, some weaknesses of Darwin's theory of evolution in experiencing the significance of friendship. So if you think about the Darwinian worldview, evolutionary worldview, where does friendship fit in? And Myers has this to say. He says, in the evolutionary worldview, the meaning of every human activity lies in its origin. Everything is traced back to some basic instinct, some survival function. It's easy to view marriage, family, politics, and work along these lines. But friendship disappears because it's not a natural bond. 
And so while we may have this sort of personal felt need for friendship, much of our culture doesn't have an intellectual foundation or a narrative to explain why we want friends. Uh, in our culture, often friendship is seen as a luxury. It's, it's a bonus feature. Uh, maybe it's an interlude before we get to the important stuff of life, right? Uh, we have friends, then we get a family, we get a spouse, we get a job, then we don't need friends anymore. You know, we, we, we can see the need for political relationships. We can see the need for work because it helps us to survive. We can see the need for sexual relationships because it helps us move forward as a species. But why do we need friends? Why do we have a desire for friendship? Why do we have this sense that friendship is something we deeply want? And how should we think about friendship Christianly? Uh, I love uh, C.S. Lewis, and I think he begins to point us in the right direction when he writes about friendship. He says this. C.S. Lewis, he writes this. I have no duty to be anyone's friend, and no man in the world has a duty to be mine. No claims, no shadow of necessity. Friendship is unnecessary, like philosophy, like art, like the universe itself, for God did not need to create. It has no survival value. Rather, it is one of those things that give value to survival. I think what Lewis is saying is that, yes, friendship is not necessary for basic human survival, but for our delight and our desire in friendship, we, that is what it exists for, for our thriving. Well, like many other unnecessary things in the world, like art, like beauty, they point us to a greater truth about who we are as humans and, who, and the God that made us. Uh, we need and some want something more than just surviving as a person. Uh, I want to read another Lewis quote that I love. Um, and it sheds light on this dynamic. He says, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Now, I think, I don't know C.S. Lewis. He died before I was born. Um, I think he'd be okay with me modifying his quote a little bit, just to say this. It says, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can explain, not just satisfy, but explain, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. I think that about friendship. We, we have this strong desire for friendship. We look back and say, what is the point of this? What's the evolutionary value of friendship? What is the psychological value of friendship? We, and and, the, and the, the, the kind of foundational pillar thinkers of our society can't find one. But we have that need, and maybe it points us to a, a different place to look for truth. Uh, friendship, it points this out. We have this strong desire, each of us, for intimacy that transcends romantic relationships that isn't just biologically necessary. We want a kind of friendship that leads to sacrificial action that doesn't just exist to help us advance in the world. We desire friendship at our deepest level, and the reason is because I believe God created us for friendship. So there's kind of a big meta theme that I'd love you to take away as we explore this, is that we are created for friendship, that that desire that we have for friendship is part of God's intention for us as humans. And so the book of Proverbs and the Bible in general places a really high value on friendship, and that may be a surprise to some of us. Uh, Christians, we haven't always talked about friendship as well as other virtues. People don't think, you know who has great friends? Christians. Like, those are the friendship championing people of the world, right? Uh, they may think about uh, marriage. They may think about morality. They may think about a number of things. But we, we may not champion friendship the way that we might in the way that the Bible does. Uh, from the very beginning of Genesis, God, he is described as a creator who walks in the garden in a kind of intimate friendship with Adam and Eve. That Hebrew word walk, it seems to connote this idea of friendship, this side-by-side -side relationship between man and God. Uh, later, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they're all described in this walking metaphor with God, walking with God. The Bible uses all kinds of metaphors to describe our relationship with God. He is our king. He is our Lord. But it wouldn't be inaccurate. It wouldn't be inaccurate to describe the relationship God wants with humanity to be one of friendship, that God desires to be friends with you. 
Uh, when the New Testament author James, he, he's summarizing the life of Ab- Abraham in the book of James, and he's making an argument. He says this about Abraham. This is James 2.23. It says, the scripture is fulfilled. It says this, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. The value that the Bible places on friendship extends uh, beyond man and God, though, and it flows out to our relationship with others. Uh, If you were to think about the Bible, there's a number of really amazing kind of pictures of friendship. One is that of Ruth and Naomi in the book of Ruth. Uh, Ruth, if you're familiar with the story, uh, Ruth is Naomi's daughter-in-law. This is an Old Testament story. And Ruth's husband, Naomi's son, has died. And it would have been customary in this kind of relationship, in this time, for for Ruth to leave Naomi, return to her parents and family. She no longer has a husband, but instead, Ruth decides to stay and to live alongside Naomi. And I want to read Ruth uh, 1, 15 through 18. It says this. This is Naomi speaking. And see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, "Do do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. Now, this is a unique relationship, right? There's this familial component to it. But Ruth, she does not return to her people. She is very likely when she does that, she's giving up any hope of a future marriage. And so Ruth and Naomi, they have this relationship that's not based on a family tie anymore. It's, it's a friendship connection. There's no legal relationship between these women. There's no legal connection. And it's best seen as really a type of friendship, one born out of shared grief, uh, one born out of bearing, like uh, one that, that bears a lot of fruit because of their selfless love, uh, and with both women caring for one. It's a really beautiful picture. Uh, But what's really interesting is that Naomi and Ruth's friendship, it's also historically significant. Without that friendship, we wouldn't have had some pretty important things. Uh, Their friendship eventually leads to this very unexpected marriage between Ruth and this man named Boaz. Uh, Ruth and Boaz, they both have children. Uh, They have children, and their children become the ancestors of the great Jewish king David, uh, Solomon, and, and then eventually Jesus himself. So out of that friendship, and them staying together, Ruth marries Boaz. A great line of, of, of royalty comes out of that, David, Solomon, and eventually Jesus himself. And it is another, uh, it's just an amazing example of friendship. Uh, one of the other images of friendship that, or stories of friendship you might be familiar with is that of David and Jonathan. Maybe you've heard of that one. They're two war heroes, and they forged a deep, rela- a deep friendship after David defeated Goliath in the Bible. And, and as I mentioned, David, he would go on to be this great king. Uh, but before he was a king... He, he hunted and he persecuted Jonathan's father, Saul. So, so they're good friends. Um, um, Saul is Jonathan's dad, and he desires for David to be killed. And so there's this complexity in their friendship. You have this, but you have this really unlikely connection that happens between the two of them, between Jonathan, the crown prince, and David, his father's b- biggest rival. I mean, this would make like the Republican-Democrat, you know, tension look. It'd be like if Donald Jr. was friends, I don't know if Bernie Sanders has kids, you know, or, I don't know, but you know, like, it would just be crazy. Um, if Saul was to kill David, Jonathan would go on to be the king of Israel. But Jonathan, he protects David multiple times. He warns David of Saul's plans to kill him. Jonathan essentially gives up his right to the throne of Israel so that his friend David can take his place. That is true and amazing friendship. That is friendship at its core. It's the sacrifice of one's own self for the sake of another. 
And it's incredibly significant in the history of God's people, these friendships. Uh, In the stories of Ruth and Naomi and David and Jonathan, we see people selflessly giving up family and romance, giving up political power and authority out of the love that they have for God and the love they have for their friends. And God uses these sacrificial friendships to establish and advance his work in the world, both in the kingdom of Israel and laying the foundation for Jesus the Messiah to come, um, but, but also beyond that. Now, now, I could go on with like more biblical examples, but I really want to zero in on the book of Proverbs. We've talked a lot about uh, kind of uh, ideas of friendship, the Bible's general teaching about friendship, but I want to zoom in on the book of Proverbs uh, because Proverbs is very much about wisdom, giving us wisdom to live a good life. And the book of Proverbs seems to really say, if you were to read it with the lens of friendship on, that you can't live a good life without friends. And so today I want to look at five characteristics of good friendship from the book of Proverbs. And so if you're a note taker, now's the time when you can take notes if that's something that you're interested in. Uh, and the first point I would have is that good friends are carefully chosen. Good friends are carefully chosen. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 26, it says this, The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Uh, one, of the more obvious, one of the more obvious characteristics of friendship uh, that differentiates friendship from other relationships, uh, like family relationships and work relationships, is that friendships are chosen, right? We don't get to choose our, our parents, our siblings, our bosses, our coworkers, our neighbors a lot of times, but we do get to choose our friends. And this choosing is incredibly important and meaningful. Uh, when I got married, my older brother and I uh, we've, we'd had a complex relationship where we were friends and my, my brother made a toast. And even though it was like over 17 years ago, I can still remember what he said at our wedding. And he, cause he described this dynamic, right? He said that we don't get to choose our family, but we do get to choose our friends. And my brother said that e- even if we weren't brothers, he would choose to be friends with me. And so what he was trying to say is that we have a family connection that really matters, right? But even more than that, there's a friendship connection that's deeper, And I think that that meant a ton to me. And my brother, he was highlighting that there is something special about being chosen as a friend, about choosing a friend. It's something deeper, even at times, than being family. Choosing a friend conveys a special kind of value. Uh, It's really a statement of delight. It's saying, I like this. When you choose to be someone's friend, you're not saying that you have to be your friend, like I'm your friend because I have to. You're you're saying that I, uh, you're not even saying that I need to be your friend. You're saying that I want to be your friend. I want to be friends with you. It's a freely chosen thing. And usually this happens because of some kind of common interest, some kind of shared passion, or some kind of uh, delight you just have in one another. You just like being around this person. Uh, You might like the same things. You might share the same sense of humor. You may have something that you both think is hilarious or fun to do or something you mutually dislike together. Um, Friendship is really interesting, but it usually starts with some kind of uh, common... uh, I love something... um, I believe it's C.S. Lewis that says this as well, but he talks about friendship begins with you saying, oh yeah, me too. Um, oh yeah, I do too. It's, it's the beginning of friendship. The first seat of friendship is, this, is the moment where you go together, oh yeah, I, I see the same thing. I grew up in the same place, yeah. But notice that Proverbs 12, 26 doesn't just say that friends are chosen, but they're carefully chosen. Why does this matter? Uh, what, why should we look carefully as we choose our friends? I want to look at our second point. So this is number two. Good friends are mutually formative. Good friends are mutually formative. We shape one another. Good friends shape one another. Proverbs 27, 17 says, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. The guys here at a men's retreat, that's like the quintessential man retreat verse. Um, so we'll give you another one too. Proverbs 13, 20. 
Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. We need to think carefully about our friends because they are the people that are going to shape us, for better or for worse. Uh, It may be tempting to think of ourselves, a lot of Westerners do, right, as these wholly independent, unique individuals that, you know, live in the world, nothing shapes us, everything we do is freely chosen. Um, But really, we are much more shaped by our friends than we think we are. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. That's not something we need to reject. Our friends influence us, and we influence them. Friends shape what we do. They shape how we eat, how we dress, what we experience. Uh, one study actually found um, that the, if you wanted to predict a person's weight, the, the, the best predictor of their weight was the weight of their friends. Really interesting, right? Not their genetics, not even their eating. It's just really interesting. So I don't know what that says. I don't know if you, I'm not trying to say find fit friends or something. I'm just saying it's, a, it's an illustration of how um, our friendships shape us. It's our relational community that forms who we are as much as our individual personalities. And, and I love what, what Tim Keller says about this dynamic. He says that in the early stage of your life, you, uh, you are what your family makes you. But in the rest of your life, you are what your friends make you. And so we need to think soberly about who our friends are. Do you have friends, probably number one, but do you have friends that are helping you become the person God created you to be? Are your friends helping you move toward who God created them to be? Are you helping, are you helping them move toward who God created them to be? Or are your relationships toxic? Have you even thought of your friendships through these lenses? Are they leading you to places and situations of regret more often than places of encouragement or godliness? And and let me be really clear. I'm not talking about like you have to have Christian friends. That's not at all my point. Sometimes Christian friendships are as toxic as a friendship, a healthy friendship between a Christian and a non-Christian. Okay. What I'm saying are these friendships, even a a relationship of selfless um, love between a non-believer and a believer can sometimes be more formative than a relationship of selfishness between two believers. Okay. I really do believe that. I'm not, I'm not uh, and I'm saying so. I um, want to just make sure that's really clear here. Uh, one of the saddest things, though, that, I, that I've seen in my life and time as a pastor uh, is when between two people who, who both know the good that God wants for one another, but instead of shaping one another toward the good life God wants for them, they drag each other down. Instead of sharpening one another, they blunt one another. Instead of stirring one another on towards good works, towards love, towards forgiveness, towards godliness, holiness, they justify one another, and they fall into kind of immorality, excess, bitterness, gossip, negativity, and sin. Maybe you've seen that before. Sometimes our friends, they can encourage, we can draw strength from one another for the wrong things. We can encourage someone towards something that isn't good for them or for others. This isn't the kind of friendship, the kind of formation that God wants. No, he wants us to thrive in wisdom, to lead flourishing lives that honor him and bless other people. And so maybe for you, as you're here today, you need to examine some of the friendships in your life. Uh, Maybe there needs to be some repentance that needs to occur. Uh, Maybe some even mutual repentance between you and your friends. There may be some friendships that are so unhealthy that you just need to step away from and say, you know what, in the gracious way that you can, this isn't something that's helping me and it's not helping you. Maybe this isn't a friendship that I need at this time in my life. And so friendships, if they're, if they're incredibly important, if we know that they form us, if the stakes are high, if our friendships are going to shape who we are, and we want to have good and meaningful friendships, what are some marks of good friends? Okay, my next a couple points are going to talk about that. So point number three, good friends are physically present. Good friends are physically present. This is a good one from the Proverbs. Proverbs 17, 17 says this, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. And then Proverbs 
Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend. Do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. Now, now the first of these Proverbs, it speaks right about the nature of good friendship, that these are people who are available when you need them. Even when things are hard, even in the midst of adversity, when you are fired, when you quit, when things are terrible, a good friend is a friend who is there in your time of need. That is where friendship is proven, where it's demonstrated. And you will find out sometimes in your hardest moments who your friends truly are when you no longer have anything to offer someone, right? When, 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 you, when you no longer, um, those common things that drew you together may even be gone. Is that person still there? That is a true friend. Uh, the second proverb, though, it acknowledges the importance of proximity in friendship. And I think this is really crucial in our age with social media and technology that allow us to have a form of friendship without proximity. Uh, it seems like the situation is a person who is in a, time, in a time of dire need, right? Calamity has come. They have a brother who lives far away. That's kind of the image that the, that the, that the proverb writer is giving us. Uh, but they have a friend who lives close. And they, 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 they're saying that is better than the brother who's far away, right? The neighbor who's close. They need a friend who's physically present. Uh, my wife, Rachel, who's here today, and I, we, we've experienced this very dynamic. Uh, we lived in Missouri for a few years uh, before we moved here to San Francisco. That's where we went to college, but neither of us were from Missouri. And so we'd, we'd gone to college there, and we, but at the time, uh, a lot of our friends had moved. They'd moved from that place. Um, we had been overseas, and we had moved back, and a lot of the people that we knew during that time weren't there anymore. And so it was one of the loneliest seasons of our life in terms of friendship, and it was really odd because we were in the same place that we used to have friends, but those same people weren't there, so it was that weird thing where you're like, we're at the restaurant we used to hang out at, but it's just us now. <laughs> um, and when we moved in there, we moved to Missouri, I ran into sort of a friend of a friend maybe even a friend of a friend of a friend, um, at, at church. And it was this guy named Dan. And when he heard that we moved there, he invited us. He was like, oh, yeah, I know you. You know who? You should join our small group. And we did. We joined a small group. Um, Dan and I, we had both started nonprofit organizations. He was a few years ahead of me. And when he heard that I was looking for office space, he let me use the space at their office. For, and we began to build a friendship. We would go to lunch together. We would pray together. Um, and it was a really interesting because we didn't share a lot of things. This is a guy that would like hunt and farm. And that's not necessarily who I am. Um, but just a, a friendship was born out of that based really on proximity. And, and now, you know, at this time, uh, Rachel and I, we had good friends. We really did. We had really good friends. We had really good families. But all of those people were really far away. Uh, my, my friends were in Japan and in California. Her friends uh, were other places. We had these good relationships, but they were spread out geographically. And if you were to ask me at that time, before I had connected with Dan, do you have good friends? Oh, yeah, totally. I have lots of friends. I have like 1,000 on Facebook. It's crazy. Um, <laughs> I would say, yeah, I could get on the phone, I could text, I could email, I've got a number of people who I like and I connect with. But, but I really only had like one or two physically present friends during that season. And it really mattered. My, uh, Rachel, she suffers from uh, kind of mild epilepsy. And uh, one night, in the middle of the night, she had a seizure. And when Rachel has a seizure, it's a big deal. And so we got to go to the hospital. And so it's that time, in the middle of the night, I got to call somebody. Who do I call? I call Dan. I say, Dan, can you come to my house and just watch my kids while I take my wife to the hospital. And Dan came over when my water heater broke. And I'm like, my handiness extends to what YouTube has available to teach me, <laughs> okay? Uh, which is quite a bit now, actually. But um, so <laughs> my water heater broke. Who do I call? I mean, water's pouring. I call Dan. He comes over. He tries to fix my water heater. Can't fix it. He says, don't worry about it. I'll buy you a new one. And uh, selflessly bought me a water heater. He was my friend, physically present in times of need. 
And while we might have loads of friends spread across the, across the globe or across the world or the country, uh, I'm telling you right now, you need friends that are here physically present around you. Staying connected with friends via Facebook, Instagram, it's fine, but when, or you know, over the phone, but uh, then they help us connect to people who've known our stories for a long time. It's a really beautiful thing. But when hardship comes and uh, a text or a phone call won't suffice, you need a community of local friends to love you, to serve you, and vice versa. I really can't overemphasize this. For you to truly flourish in life, according to the book of Proverbs, you need good friends who are physically present, walking with you and available when you need them. And one thing I love about the church is that churches like this, they try to do things to enable and facilitate that kind of friendship, to help make connections for people. Small groups like the one I experienced with Dan, they're designed to help with this. Social things, events, service projects, they enable people to begin to build friendships. Uh, I, I, we, just for context, if you don't know this about our story, we help start a church in San Francisco, and a lot of people come to San Francisco from somewhere else. And it's amazing the number of friendships I've seen that are born through people volunteering together. Like in something they didn't want to do, like kids ministry or something, or like, you know, um, because you just connect with people and you go, man, we, we share some interests, we have a conversation. Uh, it's amazing to see the friendships that come out of, of things the church does, and so I'd really encourage you to, to pour yourself into the church, um, even for the sake of getting to know people and building friends. If you have a, a church can be a really great way uh, to build friends. Now, now, I know none of those things are like foolproof. Uh, I, we can't promise you that if you join a small group or you volunteer in kids ministry, you're going to walk away with the best friend. Uh, don't hear me saying that. But I do want to encourage you to pursue local friendships and even potentially local friendships in the church because they mark the good life that the Proverbs talks about. Okay? I want to look at two more characteristics of good friends. Number four, good friends are emotionally aware. Good friends are emotionally aware. This might seem soft and touchy. Good friends are emotionally aware. Proverbs 25, 20. Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like the one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. Now, this is one of those strange proverbs um, that you have to kind of chew on a little bit to understand. There are parts of it that are really obvious. It's like taking off the coat in the middle of winter is not a good idea. That's stupid. That's not wise. It's not a wise thing to do. Um, and now, I don't actually know a lot about why pouring vinegar on soda is such a bad thing. Maybe if you with a chemistry background, I have these like vague images of like the volcanoes that you made. I think those are related. They might not be if you have a science or chemistry background, you explain. But apparently, in Israel, don't put vinegar on soda. Maybe they didn't like the volcanoes in Israel. I'm not sure. <laughs> it's a bad thing, okay? But, but the point of the proverb is that it stinks when someone tries to encourage you or sing to you when what they need to do is to grieve with you. That they, they, meet, they, they, they fail to perceive what you need emotionally with what they present and provide. It's about emotional awareness. It, it, it's not wise to sing a happy song to a person with a heavy heart. A good friend understands this. They understand you. They pick up those subtle clues even when you're trying to hide it, Right? Even, 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 you know, you have those friends, maybe I hope you do, that are, you haven't texted them in a while, and they just text you like, man, is everything going right? You know, just that gentle friend uh, checking in. They know something's going on with you, and more than that, they know how to help. They know how to help. Uh, my brother and sister-in-law, uh, they lost a baby in a pregnancy when they were living in Mexico City. And it was one of those moments when you uh, need someone physically present, uh, but they also need someone who's emotionally aware. And it's so easy when people are grieving to say the wrong things. I, I, we've, we may have done that ourselves. We may have experienced that. It's a really challenging thing. And, and one friend in particular that they mentioned was super helpful during this time. Uh, he was a Mexican man that they, they, they knew, and he came to visit them. He simply just said he was sorry for their loss, and he sat with them in silent solidarity. He didn't say anything. 
He just sat with them. And my brother-in-law, he talks about being one of the most beautiful things that anyone did for them was not any words they said, but just their very presence, knowing that I, I, I know what I'm supposed to feel and know I don't feel it right now. Thank you for being with me. This is the picture of a good and emotionally aware friend. A good friend who can size you up and know what you're feeling. Uh, they're the person that you don't have to over-explain yourself to. You're like, I'm not, I know I'm saying, but I'm not trying to say. You, know, you don't have to do that. You can use shorthand. You don't have to fill your conversation with caveats. They get you. A good friend knows when you need to be listened to, uh, when you need to grieve. They know when you need a hug. They know when you need encouragement. And they even know when you need some like sense talked into you. That they, they can diagnose what's going on and what to apply in those seasons. Which leads to our last characteristic of a good friend. Number five, good friends are painfully honest. Good friends are painfully honest. Proverbs 27, five through six says this. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Let me read it again. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Now again, context. We're talking about a friend who selflessly loves, who's carefully chosen by you, with whom you have a back and forth, mutually formative relationship. The person who's been there physically in your time of need, who is emotionally aware of who you are. This is the kind of person, the context that we need to understand this proverb in. Right, because we all know there are some people that will just like love this. Like, oh yeah, I just want to throw truth at people. You know, like I'm a grenade plug it and like, yeah, wound from a friend over here. It's like, we don't even know each other. Um, they haven't made the investment in friendship. And these kind of people are often too more, are often more concerned with being right than being helpful. And so I don't want to arm uh, this kind of person with this proverb. That's not at all what we need. Uh, if, if you don't have the other marks of the friendship that we mentioned, you probably want to avoid trying to start with this one, okay? Um, on the other hand, there are a lot of us who choose flattery and think the only expression of love is affirmation. It's never loving rebuke. This is much of what our culture says about certain kinds of friendship. And again, read what that proverb says. It's better in the context of real friendship to challenge, to confront, to rebuke, to wound, rather than to hide truth under a blanket of weak love and positivity. It's a cultural challenge right now too, right? Uh, it's interesting that most social media platforms, um, there's only a like button. There's, there's never the option of like, mm, I'm not so sure about that. <laughs> or, you know, love you, but disagree. That's the button I need, like is the, the like heart, but I don't know or something. Facebook has like a low, I don't know. Um, or, you know, that doesn't look good on you <laughs> button, right? All of this feels like a kind of lesser love to us that... That, that if we were to say this, that we're sort of diminishing a friendship. Um, but, but what I want to say, a, a friendship that never challenges, that never lovingly confronts, and uh, ultimately prevents us from being the best kind of friends. It really does. And, and how do we do this well? How do we do this well with one another? Why is painful honesty helpful between friends? Uh, think about a physical surgery, right? If you have a serious ailment that surgery could resolve, a good doctor, like a good friend, is going to recommend this kind of lesser pain for your greater long-term good. Surgery, it's no small thing. And we just talked about uh, a friend here, has his sister's going through a surgery today. And it's a big deal, right? Surgery is really painful. It's hard. But the reason people do this painful, hard thing is for the sake of your greater good, to prevent or to heal from an even greater negative. The same is true with confronting a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. I've had a number of times when a good and loving friend has had to sit me down, tell me something I did or I do that has hurt them or that they thought was hurting me. 
And that's never fun. Like, that sucks. Uh, it hurts to be told that something's wrong with you or that what you intended wasn't your impact or, or something that you're doing might be a mistake and you think it's right. Uh, but I'm so grateful for the friend that is willing to tell me those hard truths. I've even gotten to the point, honestly, when, when a friend does that, I'm like, you really do love me. Like, you really do care. Like, you're willing to kind of make it awkward between us for the sake of my good. Like, that is a real friend. And like, if you have someone that's willing to do that, that's not an indicator necessarily, again, in the right context of a person that's not for you, but the person that's most for you. Uh, I'm so grateful for the community, the friend that cares enough to risk hurting us, to risk hurting our friendship because they care about my greater good. That's a true friend, one of the highest examples of sacrificial love. And my hope as we kind of paint this picture of friendship that you have friends like this. I hope that you are a friend like this. I hope that you experience the value of being chosen as a friend and that you are wisely choosing friends. I hope you have deep and mutually formative relationships that are shaping you into the person that God has made you to be. I hope you have a group of true local friends who are present for you in your time of need. I hope those friends that you have are emotionally aware that, they're, that they care for you uh, and that they tell you the truth even when it's painful. But even if you don't, if you don't presently have those kinds of friends right now, or even if you never have, you are not without hope. And you might be sitting here thinking, I, you know, feeling the sting of a bad friendship or the loneliness of a lack of friendship. You may feel regret for the poor friend you have been, or you may feel inadequate to be this kind of friend. But I want us all to take heart, like to walk away encouraged, because God, he didn't just create us for friendship. He's actually also given us the ultimate model of friendship, Jesus. And I don't mean that like in the kind of cheap, like Jesus is my homeboy friendship. Um, I'm talking about the kind of friend that would delight in you, that would choose you, that would lay down his life on your behalf, who knows you intimately, understands your interior world, your ugliest struggles, your deepest fears, and who is there when you need them, who isn't afraid to tell you the truth. This is the kind of friend that Jesus is and wants you to be. And part of the reason God gave us friendship is so that we might be able to see the value of Jesus Christ. I want to read from John 13, verses 12 through 17. Uh, this is Jesus talking to his disciples the night before he died. And I want you to catch what Jesus says about friendship. So Jesus is about to die. He's sitting with his disciples, and he shares this. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. I love this. You did not choose me, but I chose you, appointed that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. These things I command to you, so that you will love one another. Jesus desires your intimate and true friendship. He died a sacrificial death to remove sin and the barriers that separate us from friendship with God. Jesus' death is him choosing us. For those who have faith in Jesus, Jesus provides the truest friendship. The kind of friendship that not just only, not only meets our needs, but empowers us to be the kind of friend that we could never be without him. The kind of good friend that Proverbs describes. The Proverbs, they're best. They're sort of seen as these models that we want to live up to, but at times they can be overwhelming. 
It could be a lot of the Bible can be this way. I want to be a loving father. I want to be a loving wife. I want to be a good, you know, a good spouse or whatever. I want to be a good son or daughter. And these, the, we get these ideals and we feel like we can't live up to them. But the ideal is, is there for us to have a standard to judge ourselves against and to drive us to Jesus, who then shows us, fulfills those ideals and shows us how we might be able to do the same. So where do we find the power to sacrificially love one another? By seeing it modeled in Jesus towards us. Where do we find the motivation to forgive a friend? By experiencing an even greater forgiveness that Jesus has done for us. Where do we let go of the crushing expectations that we place on others, and sometimes our friends? By acknowledging that he was crushed for our failings, on our behalf, that his friendship is sufficient for us. If we want to have good friends, if we want to be good friends, we desperately need the friendship that Jesus offers us. And because it is in our friendship with him, which frees us to freely receive friendship without fear, without unrealistic expectations from a place of strength. And it is his friendship with us that provides us the model to lovingly and befriend one another. So that's what we're going to pray. We're going to pray to Jesus right now. Uh, thank him for friendship and ask him to help us be better friends. Let's pray. Father God, I'm so thankful for Jesus Christ. I'm thankful that you um, desire to be friends with us and that you sent Jesus to show us what the truest friend is like. And so God, we pray right now that, um, that we would have that relationship right first, that we would have genuine and authentic friendship with God through Jesus Christ, and that through friendship with him, we would know what a good friend looks like so that we can choose one. And so that through friendship with Jesus, we can know how to be a good friend because we've seen one to us. God, help us to cherish Jesus as the friend that helps us to serve and love and be faithful friend to one another. In his name we pray. Amen.